Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and it is yet another solo episode. I hope that you uh, have been enjoying these solo episodes and the sounds of my my dulcet, dulcet, dulcet tones uh, over the last few weeks. Appreciate you checking out this episode. Don't forget to check out the other episodes as well on this podcast. The first week of the Sir Doug Nichols Indigenous Round. It continues starting tonight with the Swans and the Blues to kick off round 11. But before we get into that, we will dive into round 10. This podcast episode will definitely be a bit of a hodgepodge, a bit of a mix-up than what is traditionally uh, been our format here on the Through the Banner podcast because uh, simply... I'm running out of time to record this podcast episode. Just a few hours to go before the Swans and the Blues kick off. But we will still discuss some of the highlights and the lowlights from round 10. And we'll start off with the highlights. My first major highlight was the great uh, showing of Indigenous culture across the weekend from teams Melbourne, Fremantle and Port Adelaide changing their names for this uh, for last book, round 10 and round 11, to all the great Indigenous jumpers, which has been a staple of the Indigenous round for years now. And it's easily one of my favourite parts of the season and all the jumpers looked incredible. To the highlight of the round being the Dreamtime at the G game and the incredible pre-game ceremony, not just the entertainment, but then the players from both teams coming together and then the Indigenous players from both the Tigers and the Bombers coming out at the uh, uh, out from the line, standing in front of that. It's, it's absolutely incredible and absolutely spine-tiggling to, to witness that. On the Indigenous football front, uh, the Indigenous round front, I should say, the Bombers win against the Tigers to break a nine-year drought. I have been supporting the Bombers for a very long time. I have seen my fair share of incredible victories against the odds, and I've also seen my fair share of disappointments. That quite possibly could be my favourite moment as an Essendon supporter since the Round 2 2016 victory against Melbourne. That was a game where all the 50,000 supporters that showed up marched to the MCG with Kevin Sheedy. Uh, and we had an unexpected win in a year when we weren't supposed to win a game. But since then, the Dreamtime game against Richmond, where we won by a point, that is undoubtedly the best moment this club has had in the last seven and a bit years. Absolutely incredible. I thought we were done. I thought we were done when Redmond failed to rush that ball through with about five minutes ago. I was livid. I thought we were done. I thought we would never, ever, ever beat the Tigers again if we can't do it tonight. And just the amount of heart that the Bombers showed. Great effort by Zach Merritt in particular. Phenomenal effort from him. Wiedemann, I thought, had a great game as well. Could have ended up with more goals than what he kicked. I think he had three or four behinds in the end. Uh, but in the end, those points ended up counting for quite a lot. But no, he did very, very well. He had a great game. Um, as for the other major highlight, if on any other weekend Merritt put in that performance, it would be the performance of the weekend. But 
butters for Port Adelaide, uh, or Yata Pulti, I should say, against Nam on Friday night to come out and to put up 40 disposals against me. I can't remember the last time a player got 40 disposals against Melbourne. He just kind of did whatever he liked. Now, sometimes when players have a lot of disposals, it doesn't have a big impact on the game. I remember Gary Ablett, while we were playing for Gold Coast, had like 53 touches in a game against Collingwood, and they still lost by 90 points to Suns. But in a four-point win against a premiership contender in Melbourne at home, those 40 disposals ended up counting for quite a lot. And, of course, it should be mentioned the Hawthorne Football Club, a club that heading into the game against the team just ranked above them was the worst team in the competition, the Hawks. To win by 100 points, I know who they were playing, but to take full advantage of that is absolutely incredible. And it is our belief on the Three of the Banner podcast that if you win by 100-plus points, you should be at least a highlight of the week. But, of course, for every highlight, there is a low light. And it should be mentioned that the West Coast Eagles, I know they have injuries. It's the worst injury run that anyone's ever had in this competition. It is absolutely diabolical. But what do you expect when you hold on to so many aging old players that just don't do anything anymore for this football club? They just take up cap space, take up list space, and then take up space on the injury list. At the end of this season, there are hard calls that need to be done. They need to move on from Elliot Yo. They need to move on from Nick Natnui. They need to move on from Luke Shuey. They need to move on from McGovern. Do they risk doing that all at once? I think it. I think so. And people might say, what about North Melbourne? They let go of four players at the end of 2016, and they haven't been the same since. The difference was with that 2016 North Melbourne were still a pretty decent club, and they arguably let go of those players who could probably still have played another three or four years for the Kangaroos. But the Eagles, they're at the lowest ebb in their club's history. These old players aren't going to do jack squat for them for the rest of their for the remaining five minutes of their career. The Eagles are paying the price for their arrogance in holding on to these players and in drafting players from other teams who have been really, pretty, pretty ordinary. Not to highlight Tim Kelly, but he is probably the most egregious example of a trade not working out for the Eagles. And he's got to be asking himself, geez, do I go somewhere else now to play in a premiership? Because he's not going to get the chance to play in a premiership with the Eagles. You wouldn't think. It's a tough situation. As for Adam Simpson, I know Glenn Djakovic came out during the week and said that he thought that Simo should be gone this season. I think it was Jonathan Brown who said it best, and I, I agree with this point. Simo should be made to see out this horrible period in the club's history until they hit rock bottom. And when they hit rock bottom, whenever that is, then he should leave. Then he should go. And it should be someone else to help pick up the pieces and to rise from the grave. Wusher took the Eagles to a premiership, then to their lowest, previously lowest ever ebb, and then 
back to premiership contenders for a couple of years before absolutely crashing out. But that was without a monster injury list. And that was with a great group of young core players in Kennedy and Nat Nui and Shuey and Gats coming through. Who do you have for West Coast coming through at the moment? Oscar Allen, great season so far. Jimby, great player. Aside from that, absolutely no one. There's no one on the West Coast team except for those two players who you would confidently say, yeah, they're definitely going to be part of the Eagles' next premiership. It's going to be a painful, painful, painful fall. I don't think it's I don't think it's finished yet. I think there are darker days ahead for the Eagles. But as of this recording, before round 11, 2023, round 10, 2023 is the darkest period, the darkest day in the Eagles' history. Losing by 116 points. Just to highlight how bad of a performance that was from a West Coast standpoint. The only other time, the only time, I should say, when a club that was last on a ladder defeated a club above them by more than what the Hawks beat the Eagles by was in the 1970s. In 1979, after round three, the Pies were last on the ladder. Round four, they beat the Saints by 178 points. But there's a key difference between the Pies in 1979 and the Hawks in 2023. The Pies in 1979 made the grand final. Obviously, they weren't the worst team in the competition or anywhere near the worst team in the competition that season. The Saints were. They finished last on the ladder, only had three wins. The Eagles would be lucky to get three wins. They've had three wins total since the start of 2022. In fact, since beating the Blues, because of course I had to be Carlton, in I think round 20, 2021, the Eagles have had three wins. Think about that. Three wins since round 20, 2021. That is, that is insane. They play the high-flying Bombers this weekend, and then they play Collingwood, and then Adelaide. Before the bye, I would not be surprised if they lost one, if not more of those games by triple figures before the bye comes to the Eagles. It is absolutely brutal. Brutal. As for other lowlights, and I'm glad that Nat Edwards mentioned this, but I am sick and tired of the criticism of the Indigenous round and of the jumpers, and of the name changes. It is for two weeks of a 24-round season. Two weeks. That is it. It's not a permanent name change to the club. It's not a permanent jumper change. It is literally two weeks a year. And those two weeks is to honour all of the Indigenous players, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, and all they've contributed to our great game. Just a bit about that history. Yes, it is recent stars like Buddy Franklin, Surioli, Sean Burgoyne, and Andrew McLeod. Yes, it is recent history. Adam Good standing up against racism. Jamara Yugel Hagen standing up against racism. But it goes back so much further than that. It goes back further. Then Nikki Winmark pulling up the jumper, I'm black and I'm proud. 
it goes back further than Morris Rioli, senior. First Indigenous player to win a Norm Smith medal. First player on a losing team to win a Norm Smith medal in 1982 for the Tigers. It goes back further even than the 60s and the fight to get Indigenous players, Indigenous people, excuse me, recognised as people here in Australia, recognised as Australian citizens. It goes back even further than Sir Doug Nichols and his struggle with racism when he had teammates of his in the VFL complaining that he smelled bad and refusing to stand next to him in the locker room. It goes back even further than that. It goes back further than Graham Polly Farmer, one of the greatest ruckmen to have ever played the game, revolutionised the game. The game itself, and this is contentious upon historians, uh, with, with historians, who knows, whether 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 this is 100% true or not, but there is an Indigenous game called Mangrook. Our great and glorious founder of this game, Tom Wills, who knows how much he was inspired by the Indigenous game. But you have to think he spent a lot of time with Indigenous people. You have to think that he was potentially inspired by at least some of it. So there is a chance that our entire game, our entire Australian way of life with this game is Indigenous in origin. And the absolute very, very, very least that we can do is to put an Indigenous design on our jumper and to change our club's names. And I'm sick and tired of seeing people on social media saying, don't you mean Port Adelaide beat Melbourne? Obviously. You have to be stupid if you are someone on social media saying something like, oh, who's Nam? Who's Wyalup? Who's Yatapulti? It's called Google and it's called reading the club's website. There are moments where I think as a nation we have progressed socially. We have become a better, more enlightened people. And then I see comments like that and I think maybe we haven't progressed. Maybe not. Maybe all this progress in Indigenous rights, maybe it's all gone to hell. Another highlight I forgot to mention, though, and good on the clubs for doing this, backing the Indigenous Voice to Parliament, same with the AFL and same with other competitions and other leagues around the country. Good on them. They are standing on the right side of history. And if you, dear listener, are thinking... Why should I vote yes for the voice? Or you're from overseas or maybe you live under a rock and you don't know what the voice of parliament is. I recommend Googling it and educating yourself about why it is such an important thing for us to vote yes on. Moving on from the political talk to the Carlton Football Club. I turned the Teo channel that I was watching 
onto the Carlton Collingwood game. Excuse me while I just dropped my footy on the ground just there. And I saw that Harry Mackay kicked a goal early on. Drop punt. Thank you, Harry. Finally, kicking a drop punt. Beautiful kick. Pies got the first goal. Blues got the second. I thought, here we go. Here's a good game. Here is where the Blues are going to make a statement to the competition. Oh, they're five goals down. Okay, never mind. They were five goals down in a finger snap. In the same time that it takes a butterfly to beat its wings, the Blues were down by five goals. Game over. To come out after a week of being under so much pressure, the chance to get back inside the top eight, the Crows, they completely fell apart against the Dogs. They were terrible. You have the chance to jump back inside the top eight and you kick seven goals, 15. And all the Carlton supporters saying, well, hey, we had more scoring shots than them. So if we kicked accurately, we would have won. Harlingwood rushed five of those behind. So you really kick seven goals, 10. Seven goals, 10. You really think seven goals is going to win you a game of football up against the best team in the competition so far this season? You guys just fell short against Collingwood in round 23 last year. And 11 games later, the gap between you two is wide. How wide? Try seven goals in the second quarter wide. Collingwood really took their foot off the gas in the second half. If they wanted to, they would have won by 80 points. Would have won by 80 points. Such a disappointing season for the Blues. Now they play the injured Swans. Now they play the Swans, the Demons, the Bombers, and the Suns. Jeez, you want to be winning at least two of those games, preferably three of them, to keep your season on track. And if you don't, I fear for Michael Voss's job. Excuse me while I sneeze for a second. Oh, the sneeze has disappeared. Just like Carlton's finals hopes. I promise that was not planned. The last low light, and it has to be the North Melbourne Football Club. I'm sorry, North Melbourne supporters. I really, really, really am. I may not like your club, and there may be a tiny part of me that enjoys the schadenfreude of what is happening, but I was gobsmacked about what happened against the Swans. I have seen incompetency from players before. Decisions that make you scratch your head and think, how on earth did that player get onto an AFL list? I've seen incompetency from coaches that as a supporter and as a footy fan make you want to grab a megaphone and yell in the coach's face, hey, what the heck do you think you're doing? I've seen incompetency from umpires that make you scratch your head and think, what on earth was that umpire thinking? I hope that they get fired and never umpire another game at senior level. As an Essendon as an supporter, I've had many of those moments with umpires and with players too, for that matter, over the year, years. <clears throat> I've seen incompetency from clubs off the field. I think the Essendon drug saga, the Carlton salary cap breaches in the early 2000s and then the Crows camp in the 2017-2018 offseason. 
I have never seen incompetency from a club on field directly result in a loss. I have never seen that before. That was the best performance North Melbourne has put in for three years. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. When they went up by two and a half goals at the start of the fourth quarter, I thought that the, I thought the Roos were going to win. And what a win it would have been. But instead, we get a mistake that I've never seen before in my entire life. Ever. I've never, ever, ever seen that happen before. I've been following footy for over a decade. My footy history knowledge is, I would dare to say, probably better than 90% of the footy knowledge, footy public out there. 95% even. And I've never seen, nor have I ever heard of a club going over the recommended amount, the, excuse me, not recommended, the amount of rotations that they could use. That is ridiculous. How does that happen? How difficult is it to count to 75? North Melbourne supporters could be as upset as they want about the umpires. And to be honest with you, I do think that their Swans got a little bit lucky with the umpiring during that game. But that was horrific. Absolutely horrific. And if you're a North Melbourne supporter, I feel for you. Because this club just keeps finding new ways to break your heart. And I've been doing that ever since Wayne Carey banged his best mates and teammates, misses. Makes you shake your head. It really does. Cannot believe it. That is a catastrophic mistake. Now, just on one of the major talking points before going into the round 11 predictions, Damian Hardwick, after taking over as the Tigers coach after the 2009 season and taking them from the doldrums of the Terry Wallace years to three premierships in four seasons. Really should have been four premierships. They really should have won it in 2018. Eagles supporters, feel free to frighten me in the streets about this. You guys were very, very fortunate that Collingwood upset the Tigers the week beforehand. It was a an incredible culture change at the Tigers. Yes, they had a great playing list, but to face the adversities that they did, the 37 years of heartache heading into the 2017 grand final, the three consecutive elimination final defeats and that awful 2016 season, which finished with a 100-point-plus loss to the Swans, The 2018 prelim final disaster and starting the season the next year by midway point being in 10th or 9th position, whatever they were, in the midst of a losing streak, having lost to Geelong by 11 goals. And then the COVID season. To do all of that and yet win three premierships despite, despite that is a testament to Damien Hardwick as a leader of the football club, as a mentor, 
ultimately, I think, as a friend to the players. He has had a great, great tenure. As for who replaces him, we'll see how Andrew McWalter goes. Big shoes to fill at Tigerland. But whoever takes over, Richmond supporters, I hope that you enjoyed the last few years because with the state that your list is in at the moment, might be a little while yet before the Tigers challenge for another flag. We'll get stuck into the round 11 predictions. And it starts off with a huge, a huge Friday night clash, a blockbuster, truly the game of the season. The Sydney Swans, the walking wounded versus the Carlton Blues, uh, who cannot do a thing right this season. I am tipping the Blues to win this game purely because the Swans have no defense. And Charlie Kerno and Harry Mackay tend to dine out on teams that have no defense. So I think because of that, the Blues will have too much scoring power. If the Blues lose this, they might as well pack it up for the rest of the season. I'm tipping the Blues to win in a low-scoring, gritty, horrible game of football by seven points. I'm not comfortable enough in Carlton to tip them to win by more than that. I wouldn't be surprised if they won more than that. Uh, The Saints and the Hawks. Saturday afternoon at Marvel Stadium. I am tipping the Saints to win this one pretty comfortably. They've beaten the Hawks pretty convincingly three of the last four times they've played them. Uh, a couple of those times, but over 10 goals. I wouldn't be surprised if it's another nine-goal-plus victory. I'm tipping a little bit close. I'm saying the Saints by about 40 points. Nam versus Wyalup. It's the Demons and the Dockers at the MCG. Fremantle, having defeated Melbourne at the MCG last year. Funnily enough, Melbourne, as Nam, haven't won a game yet. I think this is their best opportunity to do so. The Dockers, having won the last uh, month of football, including last three games in a row, kicking over 100 points in each game. It's been a great return to form for them. All their supporters will probably be screaming out, where in the F has this been the entire time? But they're back on roll the Dockers. The problem is, I think they're coming up against one of the best defences in the competition. I would be gobsmacked if they managed to kick over 100 points against Melbourne, even with Clayton Oliver missing in the midfield. I think the Demons to win by two goals in another great game of football. It's Geelong and GWS down in Geelong. Surprising stat I heard from Regan Hodge, who you've heard on this podcast before during the week at work. The Giants have actually won their last two games in Geelong against the Cats. That is an extremely surprising stat. I think their winning streak at this venue will come to an end, though. I think the Cats will get the win, even with all the injuries that they have out. I think it will be closer than what a lot of people think, but I'm tipping the Cats by about four to five goals. On to Saturday night, and it starts off in Darwin, Gold Coast, and the Western Bulldogs. If the Suns... Uh, to play finals football, they need to win this game. And unfortunately, I have not seen enough of them this season to convince me that they're ready to play finals football. They're middle of the road team once again. I think the Dogs have shown that they will probably play finals football this season. Uh, I'm tipping the Dogs by three goals. Should be an interesting game. This game is probably not going to be interesting. It's West Coast and Essendon over in Perth. Last year... The Bombers went over to Perth, and I thought that Essendon were going to win off the back of a great upset over the Saints the week beforehand, and the Eagles ended up having 
their highest score of the year and just their second of two victories in 2022, their only win in Perth for the season. This time around, the Eagles are so banged up. I genuinely cannot see a way that the Eagles win this unless Essendon gets struck with influenza and half of their team gets taken out. That's the only possible way that I can see the Eagles getting anywhere close to Essendon. The Bombers, I think, will win by about eight to nine goals. We should be looking to win by about 14 or 15 with how bad the Eagles are. But it's pretty rare for us to annihilate a team as much as we should. I think an eight to nine goal win will happen. Sunday afternoon football, the most interesting game of the weekend comes between a team in the top four and a team that's only won three games for the entire season or four games for the entire season, pardon me. No, they've only won three games for the entire year, Richmond. It's the Tigers versus the Power at the MCG. Before the Damian Hardwick announcement, I would have tipped the Power by about 50 points. I kid you not, they were dominated. It's just so, such a strong football team, Port Adelaide and Richmond really struggling. This game, however, I think will give the Tigers the little bit of the edge that they need to send Dimmer out on a high. I know he's not coaching this weekend, but I think they will do it for Dimmer. Over Yatapulti, I think the Tigers by 10 points. It should be a ripper. The next game, I think, will be one of the most one-sided games of the season, Collingwood versus North Melbourne. North Melbourne at a short $12 to win this one. According to the bookies, I'm tipping the Pies to win by 80 points. I would not be surprised if it's more than that. And the Crows and the Lions at the Gabba should be fascinating. I'm tipping Brisbane to win. I think they would have been stung by the last time they were at the Adelaide Oval, which was round one where they lost by nine goals to Port Adelaide. I'm tipping Brisbane to win. The Crows have just hit a little bit of a rough patch of form. And I think it's just starting to show the fact that they're probably not ready for finals just yet. I'm tipping the Lions to win by 20 points. As for a game that I am willing to say is the lock-in for the round, I think Collingwood over North Melbourne should be a fairly easy pick for the lock of the round. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this mess of a podcast episode. Hopefully next week we'll be a little bit more organized. Until then, sayonara.